Yes, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> well, <clears throat> excuse me. Good morning, Capital Friends and Family, whether you're here in the room or joining us online or listening uh, whenever you listen, however you listen. Uh, if, if, if I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Paul. I'm one of the, the pastors on staff here at Capitol. And we, as a, as a church family, uh, over the past uh, about two months, have been uh, in this series that we're calling Indescribable, where each week we're exploring a, a different aspect of God's character. And I just want to give you the heads up on, on where we're going in these final four weeks. The final four weeks of this series, we'll be exploring four aspects of God's character— that, that are laid out in one single verse, Isaiah 9, 6. Now, more importantly than all those aspects being laid out in one verse is the fact that these four characteristics were lived out in a single person named Jesus. And I'm already getting excited about this. So before we get too far and before I get too excited, uh, I want to invite you one more time. I know that we pray a lot around here, but I need all the prayer I can get. So join your hearts with me one more time. Father, uh, as, as we meditate today on your word, I pray that you would open our minds to the reality of who you are. Jesus, I pray that you would empower us to, to trust you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength as we strive to be like you and live like you and love like you more and more each and every day. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would come. I pray you would come and give us the faith to invite you into every area of our lives so that we can lead the kinds of full, abundant lives that Jesus came to give us. Father, as always, I selfishly pause, I take a step back, and I ask you to steady my rowdy heart, bring clarity to my mind, and anoint these stammering lips of clay to be a good steward of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, family, I have some, some really awesome big news for you uh, from, from the God Bout family. Last month, Cherie and I found ourselves in, in a cabin up in the Wasatch Mountains celebrating, get this, 12 years of marriage. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't get too excited because our kids were there too. See, kids put a governor on romance. They limit the level of marital bliss that you can achieve when they're around. And they also put a damper on the kinds of activities that, that, that a husband and wife can participate in uh, on an anniversary trip. Okay? You gotta, you gotta change your complete mindset when you got the kids around. Case in point, day two's grand family event came about when we happened upon a, a, a cut down tree. And you want to know what we did as a family? We counted the rings to see how old the tree was. And don't you worry, I would not dare spin such a yarn of suspense only to leave you unsatisfied and outraged because I didn't tell you the ending of such a riveting tale. It was, it was 87 years old. We counted all 87 rings. And as I counted, my kids looked at me like I was an idiot while my wife stood behind them laughing, most likely to reinforce the levy behind her eyes to hold back tears of disappointment that this was the highlight of day two of our 12-year anniversary trip. And the truth is, day one 
day one didn't actually start out with a bang either. See, we, we loaded the car with everything that Sheree and I would need to have a good trip. More importantly, we overloaded the car with all the things that our kids would need to leave us the heck alone so that we could find just a modicum of peace and joy and connection over that weekend. We are in the car. We, we confirmed the, the, uh, the reservation on Airbnb. We were smart enough. I should say she was smart enough to suggest that I take a screenshot of the door code. We punched in the address and then we, we set off towards our destination with lady GPS guiding us at every turn. And, and you can picture it. Trees of, 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 of explosions of red, yellow, and orange lining the canyon as we wound our way up and down and around mountain roads. Believe it or not, the kids were quiet. And Sheree and I had the opportunity to, to enjoy a podcast that we consistently and continually paused because the content was sparking such wonderful and beautiful conversation between me and my bride of 12 years. We were just minutes from the cabin, according to Lady GPS, whenever she told us, turn off the main road and take a left down the hill. We continued to follow her guidance around, around multiple hairpin turns, trusting her at a few forks in the road, eventually finding ourselves on a dirt path that led us uh, into an area where, where the forest growth hadn't been cut back, making it kind of difficult to see too far ahead of us, but not so difficult that we weren't able to see the closed and padlocked gate that brought our car and our hopes to a screeching halt. See, there was nothing in the reservation about a gate. Nothing in the reservation information about a padlock. So naturally, we're not just worried, we're frustrated. And in that moment, my oldest in the back seat starts offering suggestions. And of course, we didn't take our frustrations out on him. Of course, we asked the nine-year-old what he would suggest we do. And of course, we listened patiently because, of course, we're not parents that allow circumstances to keep us from being compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love like God. See, but as we're sitting there stewing in our frustration, trying to silence our children, Sheree is, is, is searching through the reservation information. And after a few moments, she finally discovers something. See, the, the, the cabin owner included directions specifically on how to get from the main road turnoff to the cabin. When Lady GPS, we found out, when Lady GPS said, turn off the main road and go left down the hill, the cabin owner said, no, 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 you want to go right. And sure enough, we managed to find a way to back out, turn around, and mark, make our way uh, back up to the point where everything went wrong. And once we started following the owner's instructions, in literally less than about two minutes, we were parked in front of the cabin. And here's the thing. You better believe when Sheree and I were sitting in front of that locked gate, we were frustrated, to put it in Christian terms. We were so frustrated. It was not one of our finer moments. But here's the thing. We, we weren't frustrated that there was a gate in front of us. We weren't frustrated that there was a lock on that gate. We were frustrated with the cabin owner. 
See, in that moment, we were blaming the cabin owner. They dropped the ball. The cabin owner forgot all about us. The cabin owner left this thing locked. The cabin owner should have been here to meet us to let us in. Well, you heard the story. You know that the truth is, the moment that we decided to go on this trip, well, the cabin owner gave us everything that we would need to get to where we needed to go. And the cabin owner personally stepped in and instructed us on how to get to our destination because the cabin owner knew, hey, there are other sources out there that will lead you in the wrong direction. So I'm going to do something about it. So the problem was not that Shereen and I had a lack of guidance. The problem was we had a bad guide. But how did we respond? we got really angry and ticked off at the good guide. See, I don't know about you, but how often do I do this with God? How often do we say things, you know, good things, like, like God, I want to I wanna love you with my whole life. I want to choose a college or a career that will enable me to make an impact for your kingdom. God, I want to date in a way that honors you and that it honors the dignity of the person that I have the privilege of sitting across the table from and sharing a meal with. God, I want to marry someone who refines me and helps me become a servant leader just like Jesus. God, I want to raise kids who know you and trust you with their whole lives. God, I want to be a good steward of my finances so that you you know that you can trust me with financial blessings because you know that I'll bless the people around me. Yet, we choose a college only based on its reputation or a career path based only on its earning potential. We date someone who is gorgeous on the outside but not so pretty on the inside. Or we date because we're looking for something, anything, to keep us from becoming more and more lonely. Instead of dating someone that helps us become more like and grow closer to Jesus, we date somebody just to keep that void in us from growing bigger. We, we, we might make God a part of the wedding ceremony by sprinkling in a, a Bible verse or two. Maybe we even do communion, but, but we don't take the time to make God a part of the daily routine of our marriage. And on and on we could go with, with, with all the different ways that so often we say we want to live a, a God-honoring life when, when, when really so often we just want God to get on board and to bless and honor the way we want to live our lives. And here's the thing. I bet, I bet that most of you in this room, you're asking God for really good things. But, but as my mama says, just because it's good don't mean it God, it's God. Just because it's good doesn't mean that it's God. In fact, some of us are so blessed that our biggest problem sometimes is trying to choose between two really, really good opportunities. And, 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 and to make matters worse, we live in a world that says you got to follow your truth. You got to live your truth. You got to follow your heart. You got to trust your gut. But come on, how often have we done this only to realize our gut was wrong, our heart was really being led around by different organs, and your truth didn't work in reality? 
See, we fail to seek God's guidance. We fail to ask God for wisdom. And then we turn around and get angry with him when everything goes wrong. We fail to invite God to lead us. And then we question, God, where were you when I needed you? We trust the advice of someone other than God. And and then we find ourselves over a cup of coffee or in a small group saying to our best friend, hey, I really need you to pray for me because I'm having trouble trusting God right now. Well, Isaiah chapter 8 tells us about a time when, when, when Israel was listening to sources of guidance that just couldn't be trusted. And Isaiah the prophet sees this happening. He calls the people out on, on what they're doing, more of a warning than anything else. Uh, but then he, he, he also warns them, hey, this is what it's all going to lead to. Isaiah 8, 19 says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. Isaiah is saying to Israel what he's saying to us this morning. Trust God's wonderful wisdom. Trust God's wonderful wisdom. And here's the thing. Step one to trusting God's wisdom is owning up to our own foolishness. Now, in the ancient world, uh, people would sometimes pay large sums of money to people who claimed uh, to be able to to speak with spirits uh, of the wise dead that have gone before them. And I'm looking around the room, and I, I doubt that any of you in here have ever liquidated your assets so that you could you, you could pay a wizard to facilitate some little chit-chat with your dead granny. But how often do we immediately run to our phones and scroll through our feed? How often do, 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 we, do we look for 144 character answers of, of pithy advice? How often do we Google things like five ways to own the day instead of seeking God's wisdom? Again, Isaiah 8.20 says, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light have no light of dawn. And the result is the same today as it was in Isaiah's day. Here's what he says happens. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged. And what do they do? They look upward and they will curse their king and their God. It gets worse. Then they will look down towards earth and see only distress and only darkness and only fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. See, throughout history, we as humanity, we have excluded God from our lives and then immediately turned around and blamed him for all the problems in our lives. We don't invite God into the decision-making and then we question his existence or at least his goodness because... We just can't see any good in the world anymore. We become distressed because the world seems like a dark place, which causes us to to live in a state of fearful gloom where our default position is no longer hope, but worst case scenarios. And the truth is, God knows this about us. He's always known this about us. 
He knows that this is how you and I, we are prone to operate. But do you know how he responds? Do you know how God responds to being rejected from the planning process and then blamed for all the problems? Do you know how what God says to a people that fail to seek his face and then turn around and spit in his face? Isaiah 9.1, nevertheless. And in a single word, all of human history shifts. Everything pivots, everything changes. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The Isaiah 8 moments are over and we've stepped into a new chapter. And Isaiah 9 is upon you. See, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. If you've ever been in church at Christmas time, you know that God's response to a world that's mad at him for all of our own messes is to give us a Messiah, is to give us Jesus. The good news of Isaiah 9, 6 says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is born freely given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. See, as as we step into the Christmas season, I want you to see that Jesus knew exactly what kind of world he was stepping into. He knew exactly the situation. He knew the lay of the land and he knew the landscape of my heart. And he said, nevertheless, Polly, I'm coming for you anyway. See, we took the time to go from Isaiah 8.19 to Isaiah 9.6 because I don't want you to spend another moment. And the truth is you can't afford to spend another moment thinking that Jesus was just a nice guy or just a good teacher. See, Jesus, hear me on this, Jesus is God's response to a world that rejects him and then shakes their fist at him. Jesus is proof that God is not angry with you. Jesus kills and destroys and buries once and for all the lie that God doesn't love you. Jesus is proof that it's also a lie that your individual life does not matter to God. In fact, I want you to do something for me. I want you to pick a moment from your life, just one moment. And if you're anything like me, there is a a library of these kinds of moments, okay? I want you to pick a moment from your life when you were met, when you made a bad decision that you know God had nothing to do with because you didn't ask him for any wisdom. Think about that moment. Take just a second. Think of the moment. You got one? Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you five seconds. And in your mind, in your heart, I want you to acknowledge what you have done And then I want you to immediately follow it up with the truth of Isaiah 8 and 9 that's going to appear on the screen. Nevertheless, Jesus came for me anyway. So you're going to state the truth of what happened, but then you're going to state the more powerful truth. Nevertheless, Jesus came for me anyway. Are you ready? Go for it.
There you go. Now, out loud, I want you to repeat after me. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, Jesus came for me me. anyway. My man back there pronouncing it, or or my lady, I'm so sorry, I can't see. But you're adorable, whoever you are. Now, here's the thing. Here's why we did that together. Because I know that there are some of you that hear that and you want to believe it, but you can't believe it. There are some of you that go, "Mm, you don't know my story. Well, here's, here's what we just did. We just rallied around you and we spoke the truth over you and we spoke the truth in you and we reinforced the truth that you need to allow us to sink deep into your heart to transform your life this morning. Jesus came for you anyway. And look, there are a lot of ways that we could talk about what exactly it means to say that Jesus came into the world for us anyway. But today, I I just want you to see that his life shows you can trust his wonderful wisdom. You can trust his wonderful wisdom. See, when when Isaiah 9, 6 calls him wonderful counselor, it it uses the Hebrew words, Pela, Yoetz. Pela, Yoetz. The word Pela is translated wonderful, but wonderful doesn't, doesn't quite capture and doesn't quite encapsulate and it can't quite handle the truth and the weight of this word. See, Pela means, get this, extraordinary to the point of being almost unbelievable and hard to understand. It can also mean supernatural and miraculous. And since Yoates means counselor, the, the, the phrase Pela Yoates means the extraordinary, the supernatural, the miraculous, the almost hard to believe counselor. Now let that sink in for a moment. Because have you ever thought to yourself, have you ever believed the lie? My problems aren't worth God's time. Especially whenever I think about my neighbor down the street, especially whenever I think about all that's happening in the world, my problems don't matter to God. Or or how many of you have a friend that doesn't believe in God and they've said, how dare you? How arrogant are you? If there is a God and if he created a universe that's 13 to 15 billion light years across, if he created all of this, why would he give a rip about you and your life? That's so arrogant. That's unbelievable. Well, here's the good news. Pela means, I know, I know it sounds almost unbelievable. I know it's hard to grasp, but yes, that's what he says about himself. It means the extraordinary love of the infinite God wants to perform a miracle in your life on the daily by giving you supernatural counsel. That's what he says. Tell me that's not good and wonderful news. And John 1.14 tells us the word. I think we can insert the paleoates became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And he came full to the brim and overflowing with grace and truth. See, our counselor is wonderful and miraculous and extraordinary because he is full of both grace and truth. 
and I won't speak into your life, but man, do I need both. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are like me? And there have been times in your life where you've spent some time with a counselor, a therapist, whatever you're comfortable calling them. Well, what, is a, what does a good counselor do? Now, of course, they do a lot of things, but yes, they listen. I heard listen from right here in the front row. One thing they do is they listen. They listen to your story. They listen and they keep their eyes locked on your eyes as long as you're able to keep your head up and look another human being in the eyes. They listen and they empathize with your pain and they validate your pain and they validate your struggles and they, they, they step into the mess with you. A good counselor creates a safe space for you to be honest about your life, to be honest about how you feel about what you've done, about how you feel about what's been done to you and how all of those things collectively make you feel about yourself. See, a good counselor comes along and they help you untangle the the knotted mess so that they can separate the truth from the lies you need to let go of. See, a good counselor helps you learn to how to have grace for yourself. They help you find freedom from, from the tyranny of shame. They help you forgive yourself so that you can see that what you have done or what has been done to you does not define you. See, a good counselor fills you with grace for yourself so that you can have grace for those who have wounded you. And don't misunderstand me because grace does not excuse my behavior and grace does not excuse the behavior of others. What grace does is grace helps me to see the world through a set of lenses that says, oh, now I see. Now that I'm full of grace, I can see they're full of anger. They're full of bitterness they're broken. Now I can see because they were operating out of all those wounds, that's why they wounded me. See, when you're full of grace, you have grace to pour out and into others to help them find healing. And one of the most beautiful things about grace One of the most beautiful things about grace is that it fortifies your soul so that you can handle the truth. See, when when I learn to have grace for myself, it becomes a lot easier for me to hear the truth from someone else. Because when I've learned to have grace with myself, I can acknowledge and I can say, Teresa, you're right. You're right. But I can, grace says, I can acknowledge that she's right, but I don't have to be crippled by that. And I don't have to allow myself to be defined by that. That's grace. Grace. See, it's not either you have grace for somebody and you turn a blind eye, or you see them, you lock eyes, and you run over them with the truth. It's not, it's not either or. It's both and. Jesus shows us that there is a way to be full of both grace and truth. And there is a way that to live life that enables us to not only operate out of, but to pour out in the right proportions, grace and truth. And, and still you might be saying, I'm listening, Paul. 
Others of you might be saying, "Mm, I can have grace for myself, but not for them because you don't know what they did to me. Paul, no amount of counseling is gonna ever help me get over this. Let's just for a second suppose that you're right. Well, in that case, I want you to take the metaphor of a good counselor and just throw it away. Take the metaphor for a good therapist and get rid of it and go back to the meaning of Pela, Yoates. Pela, Yoates. Because if he is the wonderful, supernatural, miraculous counselor, then what we have, what he offers is supernatural, miraculous counseling that is so extraordinary that it will enable us to do things that are almost too hard to believe. Almost, but not quite. See, if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, and if you will accept his invitation to follow him and live like him, what you are stepping into is nothing less than a wonderful, miraculous way of life where every day you can be fueled by grace and truth, which means you can turn to anyone and everyone and respond with grace and truth. But how do we live this kind of life? How do, you, how do you tap into this supernatural way of navigating everyday situations? How do you show that you trust Jesus with your entire life, that you love him with everything inside of you, and that you want to live according to his wonderful wisdom? Well, Jesus offers us an answer. And Jesus' answer, it's very simple. But as we say around here all the time, ooh, simple isn't always easy. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. How do you get the spirit of truth? It's simple. Just keep his commands. Show him that you love him. Now, first, that word advocate, any guesses as to how else you can translate that word? Counselor. Counselor. Second, I can imagine that some of, some of us in here might be, be pushing back right now, and we might be objecting to the idea that Jesus says that you've got to obey my commands in order for me to send the spirit of truth to counsel you, and we don't like that because, hey, that sounds a lot like earning favor, and that doesn't sound very much like unconditional love. Well, hold on for a second. Let's, let's talk about this. Let me ask you, let's go back. What caused Israel to get angry with God? What caused Israel to see the world as nothing but a place of darkness, doom, fear, gloom, and despair? They didn't trust God's wisdom. They didn't operate according to his principles, i.e., they didn't live according to his commands. And then they turned around and blamed him for how their life was going. So the truth is, if I don't obey Jesus's commands then what I'm saying is, Jesus, (laughs) with all due respect, I don't want your counsel. 
And in fact, I don't want your counsel, which means I certainly don't want you sending another counselor to tell me more of the same. I don't need multiple voices trying to get me to align my life with a set of commands that I've said no to. No. See, essentially, when I do that, I am Israel in Isaiah 8 all over again, only worse. Because in that moment, I am rejecting the nevertheless. I am rejecting the light that has come. I am objecting to and rejecting the wonderful counselor of Isaiah 9 that came for me in spite of me. But when we obey Jesus' commands, we're showing that we want to live life his way. That we, 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 what we are saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I'm a mess. And I don't understand all this. But I'm going to trust your wonderful wisdom anyway. And look, you know me. I need all the wonderful wisdom that you're willing to give me. That's what obeying his commands leads to. That's what we're showing. We're showing Jesus. We trust his wonderful wisdom. We trust that as crazy as it sounds to turn the other cheek, as crazy as it sounds to go the extra mile with and for someone, as crazy as it sounds to give without expecting anything in return, as as crazy as it sounds to operate as if lust is in fact the equivalent of adultery, as crazy as it sounds to love your enemies and pray for the people who badmouth you and persecute you, as crazy as all of these things sound, we trust that his way is the only way that our broken and hurting world will ever find healing. See, we trust that if we live according to his wonderful wisdom, he can use people like us to bring about that healing. That's the craziest thing of all. I can believe if he's God, he can, he can become God in a bod, as Andy Stanley says. But that he could use me to bring healing to another broken human being? Whew, that's going to require, I don't know, a paleo eights. How? How does all this come about? Well, Jesus continues. The world cannot accept him, meaning the counselor, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, and I'm going to slow down right here. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. On that day, Jesus says, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. See, my friends, I slow way down on those verses because I'm convinced, I am convinced that if we truly understood the implications of this divine math in these verses, that we would simultaneously fall to our knees 
and then stand up and charge headfirst into every social injustice, every environmental problem, every world issue, and every issue in the human heart, knowing that because the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of us, ready to show us the way to remedy and redeem the world through grace and truth of Jesus, we would have no fear and no doubt that he can use people like us because he's not just with us, he is in us. Now, before we ask him to guide us into all the world to fix all of the world's problems, how about we start with just inviting him into our world just for this coming week? What if, little thought experiment, what if we trusted his wisdom that calls us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above ourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others? How would our personal and professional lives be revolutionized if we lived like this? And what if instead of of hoarding money because we live in fear that one day we'll lose it all, what if we learn to trust Jesus whenever he says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In fact, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. And yet, or nevertheless, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? One more question. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Hmm. How much more would you sleep? And how much more fun would you be when you were awake? (laughs) If, 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 If you trusted that God was smarter than you, better resourced than you, and better equipped to take care of you than you. And what if instead of immediately trying to, to, to the, the latest fads or the latest life hacks for taking control of your life, what if instead of jumping first to those, we first jumped to taking Jesus up on his offer to come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when I have a problem, when somebody speaks the truth to me, and I have grace for myself, because I'm a work in, 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 in progress, so often it's, I'm going to read that book, I'm going to listen to that podcast, I'm going to go talk to this therapist, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and I create this big, long list of things to do. And Jesus says, I've got a better idea. Instead of doing, how about you stop? And how about you rest in me? Rest in me. Rest in my gentleness. Take my yoke on you. Because that laundry list of self-help things that you're talking about, they're good. But right now, you just need to take a step back. 
Because Paul, I know you. You're still working on having grace for yourself. And when you fail to read a day, if, when you fail to implement that thing that you learned in that podcast, you're, you're gonna spiral. You're gonna stop having grace for yourself because you're trying to work your way there. And I'm telling you, step one, rest in me. And then step two, we'll get back to work. We'll get back to work. But when you do, take my yoke on you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, we talk about this metaphor of a rabbinic yoke around here with some frequency. A yoke is a, is a piece of farming equipment that it's used to, to, to bind two animals together so that they can set out in the same direction to accomplish the same task. And the beauty of this is that Jesus says, bind yourself to me because when you bind yourself to me, I'm in the earthiness of life with you. I'm in the struggle. I'm in the the work with you. And the best part is, I do all the heavy lifting for you. When you fall down, I pick you back up. Bind yourself to me because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. See, he's the wonderful counselor because he's the counselor that points out our burdens, sure, but then he helps us carry them. And this is why I can stand up here with a straight face after almost 40 years of walking with Jesus and tell you, you can trust his wonderful wisdom. In fact, you gotta trust his wonderful wisdom. Now, as we bring things to a close, I just wanna, I wanna revisit the, the comparison between, between a good counselor and the wonderful counselor, Jesus, just one more time. See, another thing that, that a good counselor does is they give you tools to help you navigate your struggles wisely. And sometimes they'll give you a book to read. Sometimes they'll give you some exercises to do and then come back and tell them about it. Sometimes they'll tell you, hey, you need to go have that difficult conversation with that difficult person. Well, I, I want to tell you a secret that you, that you may not know. If Jesus is who he says he is, and if what he says about you is true, then you have access to all the same tools and all the same sources of wisdom as Jesus. See, first, you have access to God's word. Because the truth is, if you think that Jesus came out of the womb, started walking at day seven, because that's a holy number, and then by day 14, began quoting the Shema in perfect Aramaic, no, you're wrong. See, he, he was born and he came meek and mild. He came frail. He had to grow up. The, the, the gospel of Luke says that he grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. See, Jesus, like every good Jewish boy, would spend time in synagogue. He would spend time listening to people talk. This is why, see, Jesus was the ultimate Bible nerd. This is why when his parents couldn't find him at that one feast in the gospel of Luke, they, when they found him, he was hanging out at church, listening to, to old people talk about God because he loved hearing people talk about the scripture. And in fact, when you, when you jump to Matthew 22, uh, somebody comes along and says, hey, Jesus, you're really into the Bible. I wanna have a conversation with you. What's the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus do? He starts talking about the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and by the way, let me give you another one from the scriptures. It's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus had access to the same set of scriptures. In fact, we have access to more scriptures than Jesus did. 
Jesus centered his life on living out the scriptures. Read the gospels and you will see time and time again that Jesus will say, hey, the reason why I'm saying this or the reason why I'm doing this or the reason why I have to go to that place is so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. Jesus was so full of scripture that when he was persecuted on the cross, he would bleed the Psalms. And by the way, on the cross, he also bled grace and he bled forgiveness because, and I don't mean that as a metaphor. No, no, no. I mean that as a, as a, as a reality because earlier, remember how we said, uh, uh, when we trust the wisdom of Jesus, as crazy as it sounds, we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. And in Luke 23, uh, 34, Jesus looks at those torturing him who are paid to murder him. And what does he say? Father, grace, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, this is Jesus putting one of the primary commandments, the second greatest commandment into practice. Why? Because he was so steeped in the wisdom of the scriptures that when he faced the ultimate adversity, he did not fight back, he loved back because he had the wisdom of God inside of him. Jesus also believed Psalm 119, 105 that says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. See, studying the Hebrew Bible was one of the ways that Jesus was able to use the language of, of, of I am the light of the world, as he says in John 8, verse 12. And then he also turns around and calls us, you and me, the light of the world in Matthew 5, 14. And he says this because he knows we all have access to the same source of light. The second tool that we have that Jesus had, you have access to God's wisdom because you have access to God himself through prayer. See, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, we find Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And I don't have a slide for this because we don't need to put it on the screen because the opening two words are so famous. When, when Jesus, te- you guys know this, and I want you to tell me, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, what are the first two words? How do you start your prayers? Our Father. Our Father. When, when I'm meeting with Troy down in his office, if Alyssa, Morgan, or Emma, one of his three girls, peeks their head in to ask him something, guess what? He stops everything with me to see what they need. Why? He's their father. More than any staff member, except maybe Suzanne, his wife, but all metaphors break down, so cut me some slack. Uh, Suzanne excluded. More than any staff member, his three girls have unrestricted access to him anytime, day or night, no matter the circumstances, because he's their father. How much more our Heavenly Father. See, the Bible and prayer, they're just two tools that, 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 that we have access to at any moment in order to access his wonderful wisdom. There are books by authors like, like C.S. Lewis or Christine Kane, Dallas Willard, Margaret Feinberg, Henry Cloud, Jeannie Allen, Carmen Imes, and countless others that the Holy Spirit himself has gifted these authors with invaluable wisdom that it is their life's mission to share with you and with me. 
Not only books, but there, there are podcasts like, like, like the Bible Project or, or the Spoken Gospel or We're Going There with Bianca Olathoff. And there are too many other podcasts to list, uh, that, that, that are consistently on a weekly basis putting out content that all have the same core goal at heart to help you and I see that you can trust the wonderful wisdom of Jesus. And we have to learn to trust the wonderful wisdom of Jesus because the truth is, life is hard. There's no getting around it. Life is hard and our world is a broken place. But in an act of grace 2,000 years ago, the indescribable God gave us the perfect picture of himself when he took on flesh and blood and walked the earth that he created. See, Jesus is the overflow of love. He is the overflow of grace. He is the overflow of truth that spilled out of heaven and onto earth. The grace of Jesus overturned the tables of a broken system and he overturned the sin and the shame that tried to destroy the human heart. Jesus's truth came to and overcame the lies that, that, that people often believe about themselves while his power overcame death in the grave. His light shattered the darkness of this world and it not only illuminated but set ablaze a path directly to God for all the world to see with a flashing invitation for all the the world to come and join him, to come and find rest, to come and find wisdom, to come and find hope and joy and peace and love and everything that he has to offer. See, this is the way of Jesus. This is the the wonderful way full of grace and full of truth. This is the way that Jesus invites you and I to follow him and trust his wonderful wisdom. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are our wonderful counselor. Jesus, I I know that, that, that this morning... I know that I have failed you because you're the indescribable God. There is no way that I could possibly use language to communicate how wonderful you are and how wise you are. In fact, Lord, I know that I've done our friends here a disservice because what I should have done was I should have just cracked open my Bible, sat on the edge of the stage and just read Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, where you just stand on a mountainside and you proclaim, this is the way to live. This is, I know that as crazy as all these things sound, this is the way that you're gonna turn the world right side up. Jesus, we thank you for the the access that we have to your wisdom through your word and through prayer. We thank you that we have access to your wisdom through all kinds of resources. Lord, we live in a world where, where 20 years ago, there wasn't a podcast. There wasn't YouTube. Lord, who knows in 20 more years, you're gonna surprise us with new ways that we have access to your wisdom. And Jesus, wonderful counselor. We'll take all the wisdom we can get. I pray over all of my friends in this room. If there's anybody here or online or listening later that, that, that doesn't know you, that has not trusted your wonderful wisdom, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would prompt them to just simply come and see, to just spend a week living life according to your wisdom and remind them that while they're only giving you a week, you're in this for a lifetime. Lord, for those of us who maybe have been following you for a lifetime, I pray, fill us with your grace and truth 
Lord, there might be that one little spot. We've been, we've been trusting you with everything in us, but that one place, but that one relationship, but that one decision. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to come to you and not just ask you for wisdom, but as crazy as it sounds, look at our problem. See what it is, that, how you say that we should respond and help us to trust your wonderful wisdom in that area. Lord, I pray all these things over myself and all of my friends in your wonderful, wise name, Jesus. Amen. So just a few quick pieces of homework for you that you're gonna totally see coming. Step one, find a Bible plan that works for you. Maybe you're someone who goes, this is the year I'm gonna do a a, a one-year work through the Bible. Great, awesome. One of my favorite practices, I love it. But maybe, maybe what you need instead of that is you just need like mm, five days on what the Bible says about shame. Jump on the Bible app and just Google shame and combat the lies with the truth of scripture. Just find any kind of a Bible plan that works for you so that you can have access to the wonderful wisdom uh, of God through scripture. Next, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for just three minutes a day. Now hear me, hear me, because you gotta gotta understand that what I'm about to say, this is a statement that is full and overflowing with grace, okay? Some of you don't know the last time that you prayed. So three minutes is a big deal. Grace, grace. Grace. Here's why I want you just to pray. Here's where I get the number three from, okay? I'm gonna tell, this is how I have taught and we have taught our kids to pray because this is how I was taught to pray. Are you ready? It's really simple. Up, in, out. One minute, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing me to roll out of bed this morning. Thank you that I have access to your wonderful wisdom and on and on you go. Just spend one minute thanking God. Look up. What are you thankful for? Then spend one minute in. Hey, God, since I have access to all this wisdom, I really need help in these areas. I need to be more compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Whatever your thing is, I got a lot of things. Whatever your thing is, just pray for that. And and, and then finally, after you spend one minute praying in, look out. God, the people around me, my wife, my husband, my kids, my friend, my roommate, my, the, the, the person in the cubicle next to me, whoever it is, just look out. And, 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 and if you can't pray for a full minute because you ran out of people to pray for, pray for me. I'll take all the prayer I can get. Actually, pray for my wife because she has to deal with me. But then after you're done praying for her, pray for me. Just three minutes a day. Three minutes a day. Next, ask someone you trust for a book or a podcast. Now I say, ask someone you trust because you need somebody who knows you, who knows what you're going through. Fill yourself with grace, fortify your soul, and then just ask them, hey, what do you think I need to be uh, meditating on? What do I need to read? What do I need to listen to? And they'll go, okay, grace to you. Here's the truth. (laughs) Here's what I see you need to work on. And here's a great resource. Find someone that you trust and ask them that. Uh, The final piece of homework now, I, I don't want you to misunderstand how the, the metaphor we've been using in this message where I've talked about a, a good counselor versus a wonderful counselor. I, I don't want you to think that, I, that I'm, I'm downplaying good counselors because in fact, here's your final piece of homework. For some of you, talk to a good counselor because you have to understand that, that God has hand-wired certain people to, to get out of bed every morning and pray for wisdom on how to help people find healing. God has given them the gift of searching in the mess and in the darkness to find, ah, there's the lie. 
there's the lie. Let's acknowledge these and let's let them go. And oh, 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 here's the truth. So for some of you, you need not just the wonderful counselor that you can talk to on your, while you're lying in bed at night. You need a good counselor that you can talk to on a weekly basis. This graphic is going to be available later in the week. Feel free to download it from our social media accounts and our website uh, and use it however you choose. Troy? What you just observed was a pastor who forgot to plug in his microphone. Me, not him. I'm so glad you came to church today. Thanks to those of you who joined us online. If you'd like to receive prayer, there will be some people waiting here at the front as our our time together concludes. Uh, Ask them to pray for you. If you're viewing online or you think about this through the week, send us an email, care at capitalchurch.com because we have a team of people who pray over the needs of our community. Uh, Friends, if we take the content of this message and apply it to our lives, I mean, really think about this. This could change everything. If we embrace the teaching of Jesus, it could absolutely change our lives and our world. This could change our marriages. This could change our friendships. This could change our workplaces. The idea of the teaching of Jesus and trusting his wisdom. Oh my, my, my. So that's what I want to pray for you. I'll keep it simple. This week as you leave, may you trust his wonderful wisdom. May you put his words into practice. See what happens. Thanks for coming. Grace and peace.